Uh, many children in our city and uh, many in our church have lived through that scene. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way because there is power in the gospel. There is power that comes from Jesus that can transform our ability to love unconditionally, to love till death do us part. And today, I want to talk about marriage, why it's worth fighting for, why it's even worth getting into. You know, marriage isn't getting the respect that it once had. According to Gallup, only 27% of millennials are married. At the same age as 69 or 65% of boomers were married. I'm one of those boomers, and a lot of you are one of those millennials. So yeah, as I talk to you, I'm pushing against some really strong stuff in our culture. I'm pushing against the culture that most of you have grown up in and many of you buy into. I get what I'm up against. And I'm not here to guilt or shame any of you. That's not what Christianity is about. But I do want to paint a picture of what could be, what, what God has designed marriage to be. So no shaming or guilt, just a, an awesome picture of what could be, okay? I, I just want you to consider asking God to help you experience life the way that he's designed it to be so that your life flourishes. Now, before I go on, let me throw this video out there. Uh, take a look. Please get a video of this. that Canadian boy we all love to hate. Okay, hate maybe is too strong of a word, but you know what I mean. And he was caught in a tearful state with Haley Baldwin uh, a little before their marriage in a New York courthouse last September. As part of his marriage preparation, he was reading Timothy Keller's The Meaning of Marriage. He, he flashes the book as he explains, you got good days, you got bad days, it's not real if you don't have any bad days. And okay, that, that's true, that's, that's good, but Apparently, since their marriage in September, there have been a quite a few bad days. So I, I just hope that Bieber uh, takes some of the good thoughts of that book and actually puts them into practice. And, and I say that to let you know that for some of this message, I've grabbed a, a few uh, thoughts from this book by Keller. Now, our culture, it, it has always joked about marriage. I, I was raised in a Roman Catholic church where the bride and the groom would kneel at the altar when they got married and sometimes it got a bit comical when some wise ala groomsman would paint help me on the shoes of the guy and there would be this little chuckle that would rise up in the congregation and the bride and the groom they'd be a little bit confused at this point totally unaware of what's just happened it was awesome right but that joke is part of a myth that's maybe even stronger with millennials than it was with boomers like me the myth that sex and romance and dating that's where the fun is that marriage with commitment, that's kind of a drag. And the idea is still out there that you better get all that wild living out of your system while you're still young because once you go to the altar and get married, like, wow, everything from then on is, is just going to be not quite so fun. 
There's going to be less passion, less spontaneity, and anything crazy will be gone. Because when you get married, uh, that's kind of like a, a prison sentence begins, right? And I, I've been part of a bachelor party where we pinned the groom down, and I don't know where they found it, but we had an actual for real ball and chain that uh, we locked onto the leg of this guy, and we went out for a night of festivities, including a hockey game and the appropriate pub celebration afterwards. You know the image. Okay. Almost three years ago, in June 2016, Time Magazine did a really interesting article about marriage that caught my attention. Here's how the article opened. There's a reason fairy tales end in marriage. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after the marriage. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings, and overcoming family disapproval to get to the altar, those are stories worth telling. Plodding on year after year with the same old soul. Yawn still, right? When Jane and I got engaged, my friends were oh so encouraging. Doug, brace yourself. First year is going to be real tough. And then, Doug, it gets worse. There's going to be a second year and a third year. Third year, brutal. And then fourth year, worse. And year five, pure pain. Year six, it just goes on, Doug. And year seven, that's the year that might break you. If you can get through year seven, you just might make it, okay? Sounded so exciting. So what I want to do today is push back and all that and tell you that you can, with God's help, you can make marriage ridiculously fun. There is so much fun and so much passion to be had. Really, it is. It can be what you want it to be and what God wants. And God just wants to help you get there. One guy I know describes marriage as a slumber party with my best friend that never ends. I kind of like that. Because you do life together. You do adventures together. You're, you're on mission for God together. You do family together. And as you do, yeah, yeah, you work through stuff together. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not at all, but it's awesome. It's worth it. Yeah, you bleed. You bleed together. You cry. You cry together, but you also laugh together. Well, when I look at my marriage, it's not always been easy. Not at all, but I'll tell you what. I've got blood equity, sweat equity, tear equity all built up in this relationship, and it's been worth it, absolutely. Let me just lay down my cards. I want to encourage those of you who are living together to consider why marriage might be really good for you. And for those of you uh, struggling in your marriage, uh, pondering divorce, why it might be better in the long run for you to hang in there and make it. And what I really want to do is talk about how to actually make it work, because that's really what you desire. Oh, I get. This is tense stuff that I'm talking about today. Messy stuff. So just know that whether you buy what I'm saying or not, whether you buy what I would suggest God is saying or not, you're welcome here. I mean, we're just all on a journey, and we're just at all different stages in our journey. And, and our mantra around here is everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything can happen. We're, we're just a group of normal, everyday people figuring out life and what it means to know and follow God. We're people who yearn to live life to the full, lives that flourish, lives that are full of joy, even ridiculously fun. And, and what I want you to uh, seriously wrestle with is some ideas that our culture does not teach or agree with, <coughs> but that our Creator says works. And I think it's just worth listening to and hearing out uh, what our Creator has to say about how we ought to approach marriage and relationships. He made us, so He, he just might know, right? Makes sense. Now, this is not to exclude those of you who are single. Some of you will be single uh, all of your life, and you're quite okay with that, and God's okay with that. 
But many of you who are single, uh, you're, you're not going to stay single. In fact, most of you who are single, you're not going to stay single. So it's worth wrestling with how our God has designed non-single life to be. So let me just give you a few thoughts to consider as to why marriage is a good thing and why if you're married you should fight for your marriage and why you should stay when you just feel like running, okay? Number one, God designed marriage, including sex within marriage, as a way to experience deep intimacy and life-giving companionship. God designed marriage to be ridiculously fun and full of passion and the foundational bedrock to a healthy society. The Apostle Paul, he he quotes the uh, second chapter of Genesis found in the first book of the Bible, and he gives us this foundational statement. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. The old King James Version uses a very strong word, cleave, uh, to uh, his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Here we have a statement about God's original design for human flourishing, that marriage is a union between two people that is so deep and profound that they virtually become a new single person in a sense. The two become one. And and this truth of the two becoming one is consummated by the act of sexual intimacy. Okay, the elephant in the room. If I were to ask how many of you saved sex until you were married, truth of the matter, not many hands would go up. Again, everyone's welcome here. Despite God's original design and despite the fact that God, when we are outside of his in original design calls it sin the amazing truth about jesus is he doesn't beat you up for your past whatever it is rather god invites you to consider what your future could become while jesus will convict you that there is a better way he doesn't guilt and shame you that is not the way of jesus it might be the way of some churches but it's not the way of jesus no jesus challenges us to think about what life could be if we were to embrace his original design for our lives following Jesus is to follow him into what life really can become what we really want it to be so you recognize where your past is not in alignment with God's design you agree with God that it's not in alignment the biblical word is repent but as you move forward you embrace God's way as the way that leads to life and a a life that really flourishes so again what we're doing is we're painting a picture I would call it God's picture of a preferred future that is good for your flourishing. It's even fun and full of adventure. And in that preferred picture, the Apostle Paul describes marriage as this one flesh experience, and he he sees it as a lifelong commitment that you make to one another. And he's saying that in God's design, sex is an expression of intimacy in marriage. I know, I know, I know, I really know. Many of you don't do it that way, or you're not doing it that way right now, but, but hear me out, okay? Paul and the book of Genesis wants us to understand that sex is best experienced following a legal binding contract or covenant. That's the phrase there, be united in Genesis or cleave in the King James, where two people bring everything they have and all who they are together and the the two merge into a single legal social economic unit. Okay, one flesh. I know that sounds really business-like technical, but really the reality that we're talking about is incredible, awesome. In God's original design, the idea is you don't unite with someone physically unless you're also willing to unite with the person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally for the rest of your lives. In God's original design, you don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way because you have given yourself totally to the other person. Hey, 
We're so driven by the thrill and the ecstasy that comes from sex. It's kind of fun, right? I like it. But if it's only about the thrill of the moment, we, we actually miss how deep and profound sex really is. Hear me. Sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give yourself to another human being. Sex is God's designed way for two people to say to each other at the same time, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. And when sex is used to say that, it becomes much more than a spur-of-the-moment thrill because there's this mingling of the two of you together. Your, your souls touch together. They meld together. It's a profound and powerful re reality, really a deep mystery. Sex creates emotional intimacy and deep bonds of commitment. By the way, this is why when you use sex outside of God's design, so often you feel, at least in the moment, deeply committed, deeply connected to the other person. Sex does that to you. It, it, it's intense, really. It creates this intense sense of commitment. But what, what happens when you continue to use sex outside of marriage? What you've got to do is you've you got to push back on those feelings of deep commitment that come in the moment. And, and so what, what you have to do is you, you unconsciously steal yourself against sex's power to soften your heart towards the other person and, and make you more trusting of that person. We kind of just got to push back on what sex is actually trying to do uh, to the two of you to bring you together. Because with sex, there is this drive to connect, to commit to each other. So when you engage in sex outside of that kind of commitment, you, you actually have to push against that drive. And, and that's a damaging thing to do to yourself. And there's healing for that in Jesus. And anytime you're outside of God's design, healing and restoration is available. Your past is past and, and your future can be totally awesome. But you've got to understand what's actually happening. When you get good at pushing against that drive, you actually become less able to commit and trust another person. And that just messes you up in so many ways. You don't believe me? Well, some of you don't. Let me, let me go back to that Time Magazine article from June 2016. The article is not so much about sex as it is just about marriage, but marriage where sex plays such a powerful unifying role. So here's what we read in Time. New evidence keeps piling up that few things are as good for life, limb, and liquidity as, get this, staying married. Few things are as good for your health, for your finances, for your well-being as being married. All right. You ponder that. You go, really? Well, they, they went on and said, couples who have made it all the way later into life have found it to be a peak experience, a sublime experience to be together. This comes from Paul Pillimer, a Cornell University gerontologist who did an extensive survey of uh, 700 elderly people for his book, 30 Lessons uh, for Loving. Um, he said of the people he worked with, everybody, 100% of them, said at one point that the long marriage was the best thing in their lives. That's an incredible research finding. That doesn't mean that their marriages weren't hard, real hard, just that it was worth it. Like Lucas said last week, studies continue to suggest that in Canada and the U.S. that married people will have better sex, better health, they're better off financially. Hey, they die happier than singles. Sorry to all you singles out there, but it's it just a fact. And, and there's more. They have a lower likelihood of strokes, heart disease, and depression. I mean, what's not to like about that? And why is 
not true. Well, it's God's original design. It works. God's ways work, and we have the statistical proof that this is true, but still, so many of us fight this, right? But hey, this is powerful stuff. Further, married people respond better to stress, and they they heal more quickly. But yeah, marriage is a drag, right? It's terrible. Ball and chain. You're you're, you're probably not going to want any of that. Yonsville, right? So in the wisdom of the Bible, in the wisdom of God's word, we're told, find a good spouse and you'll find a good life. King Solomon put it this way, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So number one, our first thought, God's design, including sex within marriage as a, um, God designed marriage, I should say, including sex within marriage as a way to experience deep intimacy and, and life-giving companionship. It, it, it leads to a life that just truly flourishes. That God's design, it, it actually works. And with God's help, it's awesome. And we actually have the stats to back that up. Second thing I want to say today is marriage provides one of the best ways to express and experience unconditional love. I, I don't say it's the only way, but it's one of the best ways. Core to our God is that he is love. And it's God who empowers us to love. Now, all people can love, right? Because all are created in the image of loving God. But people who follow Jesus, who are full of the Spirit, can, if they allow God to do this, they can be empowered to love at a much deeper, more profound level, at the level of unconditional love. All people, again, are capable of this love. Everyone The followers of Jesus have a resource that others don't have that empowers us to love well and unconditionally. So the Apostle John puts it like this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you know God, if you've invited Jesus to come into your life, you have power to love well living within you. You have the living God, the the God of love within you, wanting to empower you to love well. So while marriage is a lifelong commitment, looks so difficult to so many of us. God's not just there cheering you on, go for it, you can do it, you can do it. He actually wants to empower you to succeed. He knows how difficult it can get, but he wants you to, he just wants to push you through to a ridiculously fun, passion-filled marriage. And so our God wants us to learn how to love and to love unconditionally. And it's that unconditional part that gets us all the time, right? We want to love conditionally as long as the feelings are there. We confuse feelings of romantic love with true love. With We just don't get God-empowered, unconditional love. Boy meets girl. Something electric happens. Romantic love erupts. You know the Women's Network. M- many of those movies, w- what are they? Romantic love. They're all about romantic flings that are so intoxicating because the person is actually in love with a fantasy rather than a real human being. You you get that, don't you? All those romance novels and movies, they promote fantasy. Living a real human being, that's real different. And, And marriage is all about teaching us how to love a real human being unconditionally. you got to understand. Powerful feelings, affection, and delight they will not and cannot be sustained. It is just not humanly possible. Feelings ebb and flow. Feelings are not always controllable. And in any relationship, there will be scary periods of time when your feelings of love just seem to dry up. That's why marriage is a commitment to unconditional love. 
It's a commitment to choose to love the other person, whether the feelings are there or not. Love is a choice. It's a commitment. In fact, God commands us to love. Hey, you can't command a feeling. You you can't. Try it sometime. You can only command an action. But the good news is that feelings often follow actions. When you practice acts of love, you often get the feelings of love as a result. Not all the time, not always instantly, but often over time. But you can only command an action, not the feeling. But hey, the more you engage in acts of unconditional love, the more you end up strengthening feelings of love. You following me? And that's why we need to be committed to each other through a covenant, a legal binding agreement that we will choose to love each other till death do us part. Because the feelings will come and go. And we need that binding commitment to hang in there, to stay. You know, Statistics Canada will tell you that you are far, far more likely to break up in a common law relationship. Very few common law relationships last a lifeline. In Canada, the majority of marriages, by far, like over 60% of marriages at least, last a lifetime. But it's love. Unconditional love that makes the marriage work. And love, that's the core of what it means to be a Christian, right? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, even your partner, your spouse. Now, is this a command to just womp it up, right? Womp up those feelings? No, it's a call to action. It's a call to commitment. You, you're totally committed to yourself, right? Well, you can be committed to another person. You can be committed to God. It's, it's an action. Total commitment is an action, whether you feel like it or not. Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul calls men and women to mutually submit to each other as an act of love in a committed marriage relationship, he, he picks on the men on a, a bit here. Twice he commands the men to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just like what you see displayed on the communion table here. Self-sacrificing love. The husband is being commanded to love by self-sacrificing action. Like lay down your life action. Like take a bullet if need be action. He's not being told. You're not being told to womp up a feeling. And then verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. You see the action there. And and the wives are not let off the hook either. It says, and the wife must respect her husband because there's just something about men where respect is huge. Our culture says, I'll only hang in there. I'll only stay if you continue to meet my needs. If it doesn't turn out the way I need it to be, if it doesn't make me continue to feel good, then, then I'm done with the relationship and it's time to move on. That's conditional love. That's not really love. At least it's not love at its best. God's idea is that you need to love your spouse a a lot like the way you love your kids, actually. Think about this. If you have a kid, what happens to you? God's pattern of love just gets forced on you when that kid is born. And you're okay with this forced love, right? Your, Your newly born child is the neediest human being you ever met, right? She needs care every second of every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You make an enormous amount of sacrifices in your life, and yet for a long time the kid gives you nothing in return. Okay, quick cuddles, and you know, cute cuddles, and we're smitten, but really, what else? 
It's a long time before your child can give you love and respect in return for all that you've done for him. But still, you keep giving and giving and giving, right? Even if they don't give you love and respect in return, you keep giving. As your kid grows up, maybe things don't go well for him or her, or maybe she's not as beautiful in the world's eyes, or he's not as strong and athletic in the world's eyes. Does that diminish your love for your kid? No. You hang in there. Your, your love for your kid has always been unconditional. That, that doesn't change. And why is your love so strong? Why are even the feelings so strong for your kid? Well, get this. Why does it stay strong when your kids become an adult? Because you have continually poured out acts, actions of unconditional love of your kid throughout their lives. You have loved on your kid over and over and over. And those actions develop feelings that become really deep, really profound. You can't command an emotion, but you can command an action. And when you take action, when you love through action, feelings often follow. This is key. Loving actions can develop and strengthen feelings of love. Let me say that again. Loving actions can develop and strengthen feelings of love. So, why do so many marriages fall apart after the kids leave home? Why is there this big statistic at that point in time? Well, as your kids grow up, you as a parent treated your kid with unconditional love, with committed love, with till death do you part love. You, you just kept doing acts of unconditional love as you poured out acts of love. And, and as you continue to do that without realizing it, you are continuing to strengthen your feelings of love for your kids. Actions create feelings. But at the same time, you were treating your marriage like a consumer relationship. Love was conditional. You withdrew actions of love when you didn't feel love. And as you withdrew your actions, your feelings of love diminished. Lack of action, lack of feelings. And while you stayed close with your kids because of unconditional love, you drew apart from your spouse because your love was conditional there. It was more of a transaction. But here's the beauty of Christian marriage. You can change that. You, you can change how you feel. If you will choose to act with unconditional love towards your spouse, just as you act with unconditional love towards your kid, as you act in love, you will strengthen your feelings. You will grow your feelings of love. The actions have to come first before the feelings will follow. You see, once you get past the initial electricity of romance, this is how it works. You've got to act your way into feelings, and God wants to help you to do that. And marriage is the place where we really learn this amazing truth that feelings follow actions, that, that I can love anyone unconditionally, and, and in time, I can strengthen my feelings for that person. It's beautiful, it's awesome, and anything else isn't really love, not really. Okay, let me make an outlander statement. This means that there really is no such thing as incompatibility. If you, choose to live, if you choose to live with God-empowered, Holy Spirit-infused, unconditional love, incompatibility isn't an issue. So much more I want to say on this. This is so rich, so awesome. I just hope that you can grab the hope that is found when you choose unconditional love. I mean, there is a lot of hope here. So this is the ideal that God presents to us. This is what he invites us to pursue. That marriage can be a ridiculously fun, incredibly passionate, deeply fulfilling, lifelong, life-giving relationship 
where we learn how to love unconditionally and where we actually experience unconditional love from each other. Sadly, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. In a sin-wrecked world full of sin-wrecked people, sometimes it just doesn't work. But before you give up, can I challenge you to fight for your marriage by exercising unconditional love? It's worth fighting for a troubled marriage, and if you have kids, it's incredibly worth fighting for. But still, I want to acknowledge that some of you in our church family have already gone through a divorce or you're in the middle of one right now. Many of you chose that route because you were being repeatedly cheated on or you were being physically or sexually mistreated or emotionally abused. Some of you divorced because your children are being destroyed by your spouse or for any number of reasons that would be biblically sanctioned reasons for you to be divorced. My heart goes out to you. The heart of our church goes out to you. We're here to serve you any way we can. So I'm really not trying to make a point about that eventuality. But there is a cost to divorce. And I'm not going to belabor that today, but you know the cost. And what I want to do is simply just paint a picture of how you can make a marriage flourish and how that can be an awesome lifelong experience. Okay, let me just back up a bit. Before we move into communion, let me just bring you back to that video that we opened with. It's a heart-wrenching scene of pain ripping through the kids as dad packs and mom watches with icy eyes because of conditional love. They've, mom and dad have lost those feelings for each other. But because of unconditional love, both parents are still incredibly bonded to their kids. Their love for their kids is strong. You know, in the, the book of Malachi, uh, our, our God says he just hates that scene. He doesn't hate any of the people in that scene. He, he just hates the hurt, the pain, the devastation that's there. And so he offers a way out of that scene. He offers to you and me the power to love one another as he loves us. He, he loves us so much that he wants to fill us supernaturally with his love to empower us to love one another unconditionally. He, he wants us to experience companionship and intimacy that is thrilling, fun, exciting, life-giving for the rest of our lives where we learn the power of pouring out unconditional love uh, and experiencing joy as we do. Our God wants our marriages to be ridiculously fun, full of passion and adventure, where we make marriage awesome for our spouse and where we make family the kind of family where every other kid on the street wants to be a part of our family. Our God, by his Holy Spirit, wants to empower us to do that people full of unconditional love who give and give and give of ourselves and, and it's awesome and it's ridiculously fun at the same time. This is what Jesus made possible because of the cross. This is what the communion stations that are set up before us are all about. It's all about God's unconditional love for us. For God to love the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, so many people say, I I'm sorry, I can't give love if I don't feel it. I, I can't fake it. That's too mechanical for me. But think of Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies, rebels. You know, when Jesus was looking down from the cross, I don't think he was saying, I'm giving myself up to you because you are so attractive to me. You so meet my needs because you have been so, so good to me. I'm doing this for you. No. Jesus was in agony as he looked down at us. And what were we doing? denying him, abandoning him, betraying him. Yet in the greatest act of love in history, what did Jesus do? He stayed. He stayed in the relationship. And he made a way for us to stay in relationship with him. 
and he made a way for us to experience life to the full, a flourishing life, an awesome life, maybe even a ridiculously fun life, right? And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And maybe you need to say the same thing. Jesus loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely and to make us better. Jesus loved us to empower us to love him and each other, and certainly our spouse. So we're going to close today by coming forward to participate in communion together. The bread represents the body of Jesus nailed to the cross as an act of unconditional love. The juice represents the blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins that gives us the power to live and love well. I invite all of you who have faith in Jesus to come forward and to uh, take bread, dip it in the juice. And as you do, I want to ask you to do two things. One, give thanks to God for his unconditional love to you. And two, ask him to empower you to love unconditionally. No strings attached, just love like Jesus. Will you do that? And if you're married, ask him to help you fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Ask him to help you make marriage ridiculously fun for your partner. The bread in the middle, gluten-free. And we have our prayer team available to pray with you during communion and after the service because everything we talk about here is something that God wants to help us, wants to empower us to do. So if you've got anything on your heart, ask people of faith to pray with you and for you. So let's pray, and then we'll come forward for communion as an act of worship where you will seek God to empower you to love unconditionally. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are love and relational to the core of your being. Teach us to love and to love unconditionally. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to love, to love unconditionally. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning about the beauty and the power and just the all-out awesomeness that marriage can be if we allow you to be the center of our lives with your Holy Spirit. And for those experiencing a troubled marriage, I, I pray that you would speak to each struggler about your desire to empower them to love with the love that flows from your spirit. God, we need you. We need you to help us love better, to love well. And God, I just pray that where there's a lot of hurt, that you would bring healing. And for those for whom it's just not going to work, God, shower your love on them as well, bringing healing and empower them to love well as they move forward. And as we come to for communion, we give you thanks for your unconditional love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As we take bread and dip it in juice, fill us anew with your life-giving love your, through your empowering Holy Spirit. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.